everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, episode 24, Playing with Effects, recorded September 23rd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week we're going to uh, pick up with, continue with, however you want to put that, uh, our previous discussion where uh, James was telling us about all his goodies. And we're just going to talk about the other goodies, the stuff we all have, the stuff we wish we had. Some of this will be uh, repetition because it's all stuff we've talked about before and some of it won't be. But we're just going to talk about the the common effects used in a podcasting rig and maybe some effects that shouldn't be used and maybe some that should be and that aren't. And maybe some maybes, maybe I'll say maybe mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So this is the part where I'll stop blathering and introduce our co-hosts. <laughs> Beginning with the ever-punctual Mr. Steve Cherubino of HowToPodcast.biz. <laughs> Hiya, Steve. Haven't been late yet. Batting more batting 1,000 on my attendance. That's right. The show starts when you get here, brother, so that you can't go wrong. And I, if, I, I, I know your guys' time is worth so much money. I feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, my time is only worth money between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Otherwise, I'm pretty well worthless. Uh, <laughs> And also with us is the the golden tones, the dulcet voice of the professor, Professor James Messer, professormesser.com. Good evening. Hello. And and uh, welcome, Steve. Good to see you. You know, it's one of those things I thought we were done. I think the show is over and turns out we're just getting started. I already apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. I am sorry. You know, and I would say that uh, you should get here for the pre-show because James and I had a really good discussion and uh, you would hear it, you know, in the pre-show. Except I didn't broadcast that. It was just the two of us talking. So the oh, pre- God. so the listeners had to hear that horrible music no, for an no, extra half an hour. They didn't, oh, oh, oh you hurt me. No, um, they didn't hear the music because the device which I use to play the music, namely my cell phone, is upstairs. Uh, so they just had uh, had nothingness. Just a <laughs> my lovely logo and nothing more. Ah. Uh. So, okay. So, speaking of nothingness, <laughs> there was no transition there. I tried, but I just <laughs> lost it. Um, <laughs> what's going on in your lives this week? James, uh, you told us you were going to go out and buy all new gear this week. Did that happen? That did not happen. Yeah. That's, that's one of those times where you have a plan. You have a list. There are, there are, there's a clear direction as to what you are doing, you are focused. You are laser-sighted focused on exactly what you're doing. And, and then, then the forget. wife steps in? <laughs> in this case, you just completely forget to, to order in time to do what you need to do. And by the time you've re- realized you forgot to do it, it's too late to do it. So I'm working on it. Maybe by next week. Did I'll you have decide what you were going to get, though, James? Yeah, I was going to get that uh, the the PreSonus uh, two twenty two VSL. I think okay. is what I'm going to get, which seemed to have all the little bells and whistles I needed for a simple USB interface. So we'll see how that works. I want to know specifically if Steve got his white iPhone five this week. <laughs> <laughs> Only white devices in my future from now on. No, no, I didn't. And um, God, it's. I will never get white devices out of my life. Since I brought it up on this show, you guys do not know the hell I've endured through my other podcasts when they got wind of that one. So um, I'm, I'm used to it now. But hopefully at Ohio Linux Fest this coming week, 
we could settle all matters face to face. We kids. So do you need love. me to loan you a phone so that you don't have to take your white one? <laughs> you know what's funny? Other people are buying white devices that I know, and nobody gives them any crap at all. So because they don't ask, so that's the difference. You ask, <laughs> is this yeah. is this manly? And when you ask that question, the only answer you'll ever get is no. <laughs> that's a good point. So, no, I did, I did buy a little bit of gear this week, though. Um, I bought something for my iPad. Uh, I bought a keyboard, a, a keyboard that your iPad just slides into and basically becomes the brains of a, a musical keyboard. So it's like a keyboard, like a dummy keyboard, and it has a little slot for an iPad. You slide it in there, and then you have like a synthesizer. So that was pretty cool. But that's not very podcasting-y. So there's an app that goes along with it? Yeah, it's called Synth Station or something like that. Um, it's from Akai, who makes the MPC, who uh, all the hip-hop artists like to use that MPC. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not down with the hip-hop stuff, yo. <laughs> I'm not either, but I'm it a, looks like fun. I'm a 40-year-old white guy from Texas. I'm not even trying to pretend anymore. <laughs> the ship sailed on me being cool a long time ago. <laughs> you're very cool mark nobody hey. nobody does as much uh smoking of meats and pork and such as you it's a bit I of a know. pregnant pause there wasn't it <laughs> i didn't know how to say that without having any type of innu- innuendo that you can't you can't put smoke in front of any phrase without innuendo following it's just not possible um, and you can't use meat in any sentence without innuendo. So, yeah, I was going to say pork, but meat sounded like yeah, a little bit just, better, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I did cook my uh, home-cured bacon this this week. Well, since you brought it up, I wasn't going to, but since you opened the door, I will. <laughs> and uh, I carved off some luscious slabs of inch-thick pork belly and cooked them up. And, yeah, it's good stuff. Make your own oh. bacon, people. It's wonderful. Damn. Yeah, I want to order from like you know Mark's you know, smoking factory. That <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right, it's very. Expensive. There's another how-to video in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Product. So uh, you know, there. it's like on the Professor Messer label. It'll be I can yeah, do can, you know work out meat smoking yeah. 101. It should actually be a free bonus along with you know Professor Messer videos. The, everything would sell like well bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this week we're talking about effects. Now, I, I've had this uh, topic on the books for a long time, only I had it as compression, what I call the most misunderstood black box on the planet. And uh, I kept telling the guys, you know, we could do a whole show on compression. And every time I said that, they laughed at me. So for months now, I've been suggesting that, and they've been laughing at me. So uh, this week, we decided to just call it effects, and we'll talk about uh, a, a myriad of effects, but uh, uh, compression will certainly be in the list. So first off, let's get some um, ground rules, shall we say, All out right. of the way. Uh, there are different ways in which you can use any of the effects that we're talking about. And uh, I just want to get some, uh, some overall impressions. Do you guys like to use your effects, any of them, um, per channel or in the overall mix? Or do you like to do it live or do you like to mix it in after or all of the above just what are your thoughts on that um i'll start actually since i brought it up i like to do uh most things both per channel and again in the overall mix so if i'm compressing or uh running on a queue or eq or whatever i like to do that 
Uh, however, I like to, as much as possible, record a raw signal and produce it afterwards, add whatever effects. And that's, you know, from my years of, of doing studio music recording. You know, uh, you the more stuff you put into the mix from the beginning, the muddier it gets. Now, that doesn't always hold true for the spoken word here on, on, you know, just podcasting, but that's the way I like to do it. I like to record everything as raw as possible. However, when you're streaming, when you're broadcasting as well, that sort of breaks that mold. So you have to break some of your own rules. You have to find that balance between the perfect recording and the perfect broadcast and somewhere in between. Uh, because, because you have live listeners, you, if you just did it raw, they wouldn't hear any of your effects. Right. So, and it would, yeah. you want to give them at least a listenable experience. Exactly. So, uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on just, just that? How, when and where to use effects? I do it like you. I, I use effects on each channel, each person, and then I'll use an effect on the whole master channel after everything's mixed down and uh, it sounds pretty good. I might put some effects on the master channel. They call it the master bus uh, just to do a little bit of a cleanup there. But I find when you do effects on each channel, you can tweak each person because every person who's speaking in your podcast is going to need something a little different. Somebody might be using a real high trebly mic. So you got to give them, knock the trouble down, maybe give them more bass and uh, do things like that. So I like to treat each one separate and put something on the master bus. And James, what about yourself? I don't do anything. This, this is going to be the best episode ever for me because I don't do much of anything to my audio. And, and there's a few reasons that I don't do it. Number one, I'm ignorant. I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to these things. And I don't have a lot of other audio sources that I'm dealing with. I'm just dealing with me, a microphone, and I just make sure I've plugged everything in with cables that work well enough that it doesn't sound scratchy when it finally gets stuck into the video that I'm doing. I also, I'm one of these people that I don't dress myself well so I have to have somebody else dress me. I have to say, does, does, this, does this purple spotted green suit go with these brown shoes? Um, that's, that's the part where I have to get somebody else's opinion on what is good. And I have a feeling that when I hear something, eh, it sounds fine. When somebody else hears it, I'm not sure if, if, I'm, if I'm able to hear it well enough to know what to change. And early on when I was doing these videos, I had somebody send me um, a note, and they said, uh, I've been in audio uh, business for a very long time, and I'm very well versed in all things audio. And I thought I would be magnanimous enough to send you a note and let you know that when you produce these videos, I find that your 80 hertz equalization is about 10 dB too high. And I had to send him back a note saying, Dude, I don't do anything. Everything is straight up neutral. So there's no. There's no extras involved here. And then it got me thinking, well, if he thinks it sounds bad and he's, he's actually knowledgeable on this, I, I wonder if I shouldn't be changing this. Do I have it right? Do I have it wrong? And I ended up just not changing anything. And, and so, so there's a good question for both of you is, how do I know when I'm doing good and how do I know when I'm doing bad? Well, first of all, what you should have done is sent back an email saying, thank you, I changed everything, and then not, <laughs> not changed a thing, and I'm sure he would have sent an email back saying, sounds so much better, thanks. He would have probably, because like a, a lot of, uh, maybe not him, but a lot of people, when you, you, they ask you to tweak something, uh, they really can't tell the difference. 
But um, what was your question again, James? <laughs> how do I know what I'm doing right? How do I know what I'm doing wrong? What if I really did have something wrong there? Or what if I have recorded something and I hear it? And now I'm wondering, should I change something? Because it's one of those things where you keep adding to the mix and you add add to the, the liquid. And suddenly, instead of you started off with something that was pink and now it's ugly brown. Right. And once you put it in, you can't take it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my rule of thumb is listen. And, and, you know, James, you just sort of said you have 10 ears. Find somebody you trust and have them listen. And that's that sort of, you know, it, it, does it sound good? In fact, that was a note I had for the uh, toward the end of the show. You sort of, you sort of stole my thunder there. But it's well, all that's about... that's just that... Yeah. Go ahead. It's all about does it sound good? Um, and, and I like your approach is, you know, what can I do to not make it sound worse? Right. Um, what, what I did a little bit and what people really do in music is they have reference tracks. A lot of times they'll, you know, they'll take an album that they really like and they really know that it sounds good. They'll play that, listen to how it sounds on their, on their system, then set up, uh, then record their song and compare their song to that and see how it compares. And at least you have, you have to have some point of reference. For example, when I was doing podcasting, not music, I used to listen to Leo Laporte's show and I used to play his. I used to play mine and say, does mine sound like his? Because I think his sounds really great. So you should find podcasts or, or shows that you think sound really great, play them and then play your, your videos or your shows or, or whatever you're doing, training videos, and uh, see how it sounds compared to that and see if you could match it up if you really like the way that sounds. But it's, good. it's nice to have some kind of reference. Because there now, is a gestalt to the medium, to uh, borrow a overly used German word. The like Steve, uh, no, what's your name? But James, what you do is more, um, more like television. So if you make it sound like television, you can consider that a success. However, television is some of the crappiest audio on the planet. Yeah, but it's very compressed. Right, but that's the that's the overall um, meme, if you will, of the medium. So as long as you fit your medium, go with it. And uh, my, for my reference, you know, uh, Steve references, said he references uh, other podcasts. I like to, to listen to talk radio because this is a, a mature medium that's been around for uh, decades. They have worked out the bugs. They know what works. They know what sells. So my reference track is going to be uh, some of the, the big guys, you know, the two that I've mentioned on the show before, Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern. Um and I like to put those two together because they're so very different. It always blows people's minds. But those guys are at the top of their game at what they do. So I want to emulate um, the audio quality and, and to some degree the delivery of what they do. So find somebody who is outstanding in your field. If you're, if you're uh, you know, when I was mixing heavy metal music in the studio, uh, I would reference heavy metal bands because, you know, I want to make sure that I get the, uh, the overall language of the, of the medium. It sounds good. But yeah, basically it comes down to uh, listen. Listen carefully. Um, now what I'm, I'm still on a constant... Go ahead, Steve. Go yeah, ahead, go ahead. Steve. I'm still on a constant quest of finding... I, I tweak my podcasts. I, I almost never do it the same exact way twice these days. I'm always tweaking and still trying to find the perfect sound. So I'm still not set on my ways. So, But I'm always using reference material and stuff, so... Well, you see, I have a, actually a different philosophy there. Find something that works and then rip off the knobs. 
That's my philosophy. Get something that works and then stop messing with it. Because I, I've been to, you know, again, uh, going back to my music background, I've been to so many concerts where the first three songs sounded great and then they kept tweaking stuff. And by the end, it sounded like music soup. Um, and yeah, I like to get to a, a good point and I write them down. I write down the settings and I and I, I even take pictures of my board and yeah, I say, this is it. This is my my point here. I'm going to rip off the knobs. I'm never going to change it again. Totally. That's a good way of doing it. You're using one of these words that I always see mentioned in trade magazines, in um, in catalogs, which is reference. And of course, in, in most people's environments, we don't have a very fancy method to to listen to something, listen to something else and get a relative feel for the differences between those things. But there does need to be some idea of quality. I'm one of these guys that likes to flip through the catalogs and you see the reference speakers. Right. And I think these must be good speakers because they have two words for these speakers, reference speakers. <laughs> so those have got to be, and of course they're expensive. And I thought I'll never own reference speakers, not in a million years because I, I don't even, no, there's no way I'm going to have a, a speaker that costs that much. But obviously, there's got to be some value associated with it. But I don't need one of these amazingly expensive systems to be able to get that comparison, do I? Well, see, what I like to do is listen or view in the way that you expect your audience will. So, um, watch your... Lot. watch okay, your, then what? <laughs> watch your video, videos at 2.30 in the morning hungover. Right, uh, and and if it sounds good there, it's going to sound good to your audience because you <laughs> you got a YouTube audience. Um, you know, I like to I actually like to take my stuff, plug it into my my um, car stereo, and drive down the road at seventy five miles an hour because that colors everything. Right, there's so many there's different things that come in there, and and if I've got too much bass, that's going to get swallowed up by the rumbling of the road. So I like to, to bring that down a little bit. So that's the way I do it. Just find out the way that, that you expect your audience to be listening to stuff, replicate that, and make it sound good there. That already sounds too complicated. It, it does <laughs> for me. I, I say that sort of in jest, but not really. Then, then you should buy reference monitors because you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to buy expensive ones. I, I do a lot of my mixing on reference monitors, and I have the Rocket. Uh, they're from a company called KRK. They're Rocket, R-O-K-I-T. RP5G2, I think, is the model of them. And they're 130 bucks or 150 bucks a piece. You get them at Guitar Center or whatever. I know that like, I'm an amateur here, and when I mention that I use these and like them, a lot of pros are gonna, probably going to laugh their butts off at me and say, oh, you should get you know, Dyn Audio or Event Horizon monitors. I love these little five-inch monitors. And they, they do a really good job. They're powered and they're cheap. But the, the best thing about using reference monitors is you can hear everything the way it's meant to be heard. You could hear all the nuances of the sound. You could hear if the bass or treble's too loud. And you can make an accurate mix based off of the sound you're hearing out of those speakers. Now, once you do that, then do what Mark does. Go around, test it in your car, test it in, on your iPod, iPod put it, play it on a laptop, and hear how it sounds on all those systems. But when you're doing your original mix... 
I would say do it on reference monitors and learn how your monitors sound and just use that as your reference point. And if you get them sounding good there and you know that, that it's going to sound good in all the other systems because you've, you've done lots of podcasts by now and you've used your reference monitors mixing down every time, then that's your stable data. That's your, that's your stable sound. Use the reference monitors. So I think they're worth uh, their weight in gold reference monitors. And it makes it a lot easier to mix when you know you've got a nice balanced sound you're mixing through. So I, I just, recommend it. This is a quick comment. I love the way that the three of us work together. Steve throws out something. Uh, James and I both run to our various browsers. <laughs> I post a link to the Amazon place where you can purchase it in the show notes, and and James pulls up the uh, the manufacturer website with the pictures <laughs> and the specs, all in, in like seconds after you mentioned that. Yes. Yeah, I like that too. I, I love them things. They sound great. And even though it's a little, little woofer there, I think they have enough bass for me, and I make dance music, so... Um, I'm really happy with them. Best purchase I ever made for my studio so far. One of them. All right. So we jumped off the rails for uh, of effects, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. That was a good question. But that is the big question is how do you know? And uh, for me, it's just, it's just listening um, carefully and learning how a lot of people don't know how to listen. Um, huh? And it's, yeah. And it's obvious when you listen to their podcast, you know, we, we talked last week with the, uh, Door to door geek asked the question: Should you listen to your podcast? And he said, "You know, it sounds like a lot of people don't. And maybe it's not so much that they don't; it's just they don't know what sounds good. Um, mm-hmm. But also listen to your audience, right? They'll tell you. Yeah, your your guy told you you had too much uh, bandwidth in the ADK frequency. You know, and I get that. There's a there's a guy I call him out. I don't mind doing it here. His name's Pete. Uh, Pete has the golden ears." And he, he calls me up all the time or emails me all the time and says, you know, I, I think you got a little too much sizzle in the 2.61K uh, bandwidth there, whatever, I don't know. Um, but another thing to keep in mind is that you're going to compress all this down to MP3 anyway, and MP3 is very lossy. So listen to the MP3, right? Or in your case, James, listen to the YouTube video. And make yeah. your changes, and that's then you're several steps removed, right? Because it, uh, and that gets where it gets complicated. Because I, I listen to it, and I think, well, in my headphones, listening to the raw audio, it sounded really good, but now once I've done all that, it doesn't. So I've got to go over here, and I've got to make a an educated guess as to what the change is going to be, reconvert it, and go through all that again, and then listen to it and see if that worked. Well, that was too much. Let me go back here. So yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of work in that, but I think it's worth doing. Yeah, it's tough mixing in headphones too. You don't you don't always get the most accurate mix. Um, Mark, get yourself some studio monitors, reference monitors. Reference monitors. Yeah. What is next on our list? <laughs> James had that weird, like deer in a headlight look on his face. I was like, what is what is he about to say there? Um, well, the the next question is hardware versus software. Do you like to use real stuff or digital stuff? Ready, go, Steve. Well, I can't afford real stuff, so I use software stuff. Um, a, a lot of times, the real, ge- the hardware gear, which people still love, love, love to use. There's a compressor called the LA-2A that you know no professional studio can be without, or they would not be considered professional studio by some people. Um, I can't afford that thing. You know, I can't afford some of these preamps, so I do a lot. Lot, 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 especially now that I sold a lot of my podcasting gear in software. And software is, it, it is makes 
strides every day, every month, there is more and more software that can emulate hardware. And they're having shootouts now with professional ears listening and saying, okay, we're going to, you close your eyes, we're going to play something with the software effects and we're going to play something with the hardware effects and you tell us which one's which. And some of these guys can't do it anymore. So it, computers are becoming just so powerful that it, they could do the software, uh, to do effects in software. So for podcasting, you don't even need that level in podcasting. So you could do a lot with software, even though hardware is just still so much more fun because you could turn all the knobs in real life. Yeah, it's interesting. You you mentioned emulating hardware. Uh, if you've never looked into that, if you, and you've got a few minutes to kill, and you're tired of looking at internet cat videos, uh, look up in emulating hardware because it's really fascinating. They they will literally crack open an old guitar amp from the '60s and say, "I've got this resistor wired in series to this capacitor that goes into this transformer," and then they'll go digitally build all of that. This they'll this. Um, so you're not synthesizing the whole thing. You're synthesizing the pieces. You're synthesizing this resistor connected to this capacitor connected to this transformer. And they literally build the piece of equipment uh, one component at a time on the computer. And it's fascinating. I, got, I, I didn't know they did exactly that. I know some of the bigger companies will do that, go to that level of detail. And that those plugins are going to cost much more than right. like just some stock ones. But yeah, that's, that's really neat. And that's, I guess that's why they can emulate the sound so well these days. Right. And that's the stuff you're going to pay for. You know, that's not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, the, the fish fillets, uh, free uh, stuff out there. But, uh, but there, there are, like you said, there's a lot of stuff you can do uh, in software. I'm a hardware guy for the most part, um, but I do almost, uh, well, I can't really say that. Uh, I, I use a mixer board and I do the EQing in that live. So that's hardware. I have a compressor uh, running on my mic. Uh, uh, that's hardware, but the rest of it I do software. So I do probably you know a a seventy thirty split. I do thirty percent hardware and seventy percent software. But if I could afford the hardware, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, there's something about hardware that you know even the pros, even if it would, no matter if price is no object, the hardware still might have a little bit of a more special sparkle on it than the software. So a lot of studios and pros still use as much hardware as they can. And it's just faster. So like no matter what you, uh, how good your DAW is, when you apply a compression, you've got to wait for that to happen. You yeah. plug in a, a, a piece of hardware, it's done. It's live. It's real time. So uh, it's more efficient. That's why I bought the hardware I did for live broadcasting. That was pretty much the only reason. Because my interface could handle, you know, with, with software, my interface could handle all the effects and everything, but just for broadcasting live, like you said, there's no lag. Hard, hardware is good for that. All right. Any other thoughts on these ground rules before we move into the, some of the effects in question? Well, I, I use hardware for my compressor as well and my, my um my gate and, and a lot of the things that are built in that piece of hardware, not necessarily for my, my uh, video that I do, uh, but during the week, I also do a lot of, of web-based phone calls. So I'm on a phone call with someone, and I'll usually do it through Skype. But I'll, so I'll use my, this microphone rig, this setup that I have now, I use for my phone. So I'll have my headphones on. I'm talking into a mic. My hands are free for the keyboard. The person on the other end, they just think I'm holding a phone up. 
Um, although somebody did mention this past week, you know, your phone sounds great. Like it better because <laughs> it's a $7,000 phone. <laughs> it's a lot of money for this phone. Um, but one of the nice things about it is that because I've set up um, my compressor and my gate and some of the other settings here, I can type like a madman on my keyboard, which is really just under my microphone. It's right there. But I've got a directional microphone. I've configured the compressor and the gate in such a way that I could be typing away while they're talking and doing things, but they don't hear any of it. I really would not be able to accomplish that if I, if I did it in post or I did it in software after the fact, at least not very well with the hardware. I can tweak it on the fly and do whatever I want. Yeah. We'll talk about gating in a little bit and, yeah. but hardware gating is vastly superior to software gating. They just haven't even come close yet. I agree. Um, and that's why James doesn't really have to touch, like he said in the beginning. He doesn't have to touch a lot of his audio once he's recorded it because he is going through a hardware compressor, gate, and limiter, and that does a lot of work for him. So he shouldn't have to, to really tweak that much. So let's go through those components one at a time, compression, size, limiting, and gate. Um, start with compression, like I said, what I call the, the most misunderstood effect. Uh, a lot of... Um, I started to say a lot of new people, but not even that. A lot of uh, people who are professionals in the field consider compression to be the make it sound better button. Uh, and they think that all they have to do is compress it more and it'll sound better. And uh, we, t we talked a little bit last week, I think it was, about the loudness wars. You know, And if I can just make it sound louder. So uh, forgive me if this is a repeat uh, some of you, you know, know this, some of you don't. But what a compressor does uh, is it acts like a vice on on the sound wave so if you picture a wave like a um a slinky all right so you take your slinky you've got your your wave going there and you put that in a vice and you squish it that's what a compressor does it takes the highest parts of the uh the and by highest i mean uh volume wise the loudest parts of the sound and squashes them down to within a certain ratio of the softest part of the sound so it's always based on the softest part. That's really your uh, your thing that you're trying to match. So if I whisper, that's really soft. And if I yell, that's really loud. A compressor squishes those together so that the yell is within a certain percentage of the whisper. And so that, that's your ratio. The higher your ratio, the more compressed it is. So if you want uh, like a 10 to 1, meaning uh, for every... Uh, quiet part, I'm going to compress the uh, the loud part 10 times that much, then you get a really highly compressed uh, audio signal. And you actually then have a really quiet signal. So hand-in-hand -hand with all compression is amplification. Most people don't know that. But uh, in, you know, in the hardware boxes that do it, in the software uh, uh, algorithms that do it, first you make it quieter, then you make everything louder. That's how it sounds louder. So you've squished everything down to the quietest part and then amplified the quiet stuff. So now you've made everything louder. Did that make sense, guys? Was that a good description? Yeah, it sounds good. So you can, when you have like real heavy compression on something, you can whisper into your mic or you can yell into your mic and to the listener, it's probably going to sound around the same volume because like you said, Mark, after you squashed the signal, you then amplified it to bring it back up to listenable level. So, yeah, you, that's basically what happens. And, and it's, it's got a definitely different characteristic to the sound when you do that because you're chopping a lot of the waveform off. 
Right. And so some of the common settings that you're going to see on pretty much any compressor uh, are the noise for. That's uh, anything quieter than this level we just call noise. So uh, there's that's basically your bottom. So if I'm talking right now and there's a little hiss behind me, I don't want to amplify the hiss. So anything below that noise for the compressor doesn't uh, doesn't amplify when it goes to amplify. So that's after it does the compression. The ratio I mentioned earlier, it's how much you're squashing the loud part. Uh, and then there's the threshold. That's probably the single most misunderstood part. The threshold is the maximum volume that something can be. It's And that's where you get into limiting, where, there's, where compression and limiting are so close together. Uh, but you say... Uh, you're drawing a line in the sand. You're Picard standing on on the ship talking about the Borg, saying this far, no farther. For my sci-fi geeks out there, uh, that's that's what the threshold does. It says that I'm never going to allow any sound to go this any louder than this. And then I some actually of, have a knob that says this ends here. Yeah, <laughs> the line must be drawn here. <laughs> um, and and then the real complicated ones, the the higher higher end ones, have what's called a knee. And the knee um, is the dampener on that threshold. It says, okay, I'm going to allow certain things to go just a little above this threshold so that it doesn't sound like crap. Because if you limit too much, you get what we call clipping. And that's where part of the signal is just cut off. And it sounds like garbage. If you've ever listened to somebody try to take uh, a cell phone video at a Metallica concert, you know what clipping sounds like the signal is just too much for that microphone. So it clips it. It says, I can't take it. So uh, James, is, if you're watching the video, he's got a little graph there, the classic uh, compression curve there. So the knee is like uh, the back-off algorithm uh, of, a, of the, the limiter, of the threshold. I, I feel like I'm babbling here, guys. Back me up if, no, I'm, you're, if you're I'm going good. off the end. You're doing yeah, good. This is one of the things. If you if you get a compressor, you get a piece of hardware, and you put this thing in, you start reading the manual, and this is right from the manual of of my <laughs> compressor, where there are settings for the hard knee compression curve, and of course, there's another setting in the compressor that is the over easy compression curve. Well. How, which one do I set it to? It's a it's a trial and error to see which one sounded best to me. I of course thought over easy would sound better than a hard knee, but I guess it depends on the type of thing you're doing. Is it music? Is it not music? Are you playing drums? Are you doing speaking? Are you singing? Um, there's a lot of nuance to that. And for me, I don't even understand what I'm looking at here. There's a graph. I see if I go too high, it makes sure I don't go too high. All right, I can follow that. I can follow the line. There's a lot of algorithms and a lot of technology behind that. And ultimately, I've just got to play around with the knobs and the settings to see which one I went with. And I think on this one, I am running the over easy compression curve that we see right here. The good news James. is James will James will throw up some pictures and say I don't know what I'm looking at here. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy, but look at this. <laughs> the good I, news I, is I, I, I agree with over easy on that on that compressor. Yeah. I like it. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry, one more time. The good news is the human voice almost can't be over compressed. So you you've got because the there's a fairly narrow range in the human voice anyway, as compared to say um, an acoustic guitar versus a clashing cymbal. Uh, that's a huge range. And the human voice, it's a fairly narrow range. So you can really just compress the holy snot out of voice and get away with it. 
So if it's just uh, a speaking voice, let me back off on that, a singing voice, not so much. But if it's just me talking, I can really just sort of max out that compression knob and not worry about it sounding bad for the most part. For the most part. I mean, a lot of radio DJs will overdo it. Uh, a perfect example of, I think, overcompression is I've been listening to a lot of XM radio. And on the number one, on channel number one on XM, if anybody has it, it's called Hits or Pop Hits or something. There's a guy called Spider Harrison. He does a countdown every weekend. If you listen to his Spider Harrison, his voice on XM radio on the weekend, you will hear overcompression. He just, he just cranks it way too much. So you might be asking, why would I even use a compressor? Uh, why would I even need to buy one? Um, not you guys, but the people who are listening. Uh, and I'm saying the, the reason you should get a compressor is I think if you're listening to your podcast and you have a lot of low parts and you have a lot of really loud parts and you're, you're always having to turn the volume down and up to hear certain parts, a compressor can help you just control the signal and even it all out. Just make it like over easy <laughs> and just even it all out and uh, make it so somebody doesn't have to be worried that their ears are going to be blown out when they get to a loud part of the show and have to turn up their volume, crank it up at the lower part of the show. It does a lot of controlling of volume for you, so it makes the show more listenable. And also, what I do, I, I as I said, I have my voice right now going through a compressor before it's recorded. Then when it's all said and done, I've got everything mixed down, I compress it again to level out the differences between Steve's voice and my voice and James's voice and Steve's voice. So uh, the compressor takes that final product after I've done it all in hardware, I've I've recorded, I've got it good. The last thing I do before I export to uh, MP3 is I compress it again. So I do a software compression and a hardware compression. And sometimes um, if I have a particularly um, uh, weak or bad connection, I'll actually go through and compress individual channels uh, of, of like when we're going through Skype, we, I've mentioned it before, Skype audio is very highly compressed already just to save bandwidth. They compress it to do that because the, the, the bandwidth that's used up is in the differences. If you can make everything the same, it takes less bandwidth. Uh, I know the Nmap guru over there just cringed when I oversimplified that. But uh, No, it's good that you oversimplified. Yeah. And, uh, it's helpful. So the Skype audio comes in really compressed, but sometimes I'll even go through and compress it again per channel. So compression is a very valuable tool that does make your stuff sound sound better, but it's not a magic more sounder gooder button, and don't think it is. Exactly. And use it, you know, don't overdo it on it. Do it, bring it, bring yourself to a point by twiddling your knob, the knobs there and playing with the controls to it where it sounds good to you. And then again, use reference podcasts or reference shows, shows that you think sound good and compare how your show sounds to them. Let me bring this up real quick before we go any further because I'll probably forget knowing myself. But we've talked about so far you using software effects or using hardware effects that you record straight into your recorder. The, the only warning, one of the only warnings you have to worry about is when you record effects straight in your computer is you can't undo them. So yeah, be true. a little wary about, you know, putting all kinds of effects on your signal before, like, right into your recorder because you can't get them out. That's one thing about hardware effects you, you might be a little cautious about if you're using them in, in that certain way. And, and just a, a word of advice, there are blinky lights on all of your equipment. They are there for a reason. Pay attention to them. 
generally speaking, red blinky lights are bad. For the most part, if you see red, make the red go away. <laughs> so Let me write that down. Hold on. <laughs> uh, but the blinky lights are part of the allure of hardware. That's I love true. blinky lights. See, like on my mixer right now, I'm, I'm looking over here, and as I speak, the, the volume level is, is g- primarily in the green, every now and then peeking up into the yellow. But never touching the red. Red is bad. We stay away from red. I don't even have to know what those mean to know that if I've got a green, yellow, and red, I want to stay in the green and away from the red. I think that's. I think you found the title of the show. Red is bad. <laughs> um. All right. Any other th- uh, things to say? And I know there are. But uh, do we want to move on from compression, or are we are we gonna stick with it? Yeah. They're they're like move on, you idiots. We're done with that. So the next thing that goes uh, along with compression is limiting, which is sort of compression carried out to its its extreme extent. Uh, but we, we say that, I put these together because you often see devices called compressor limiters, which makes sense, right? If you're going to compress, if you're going to compress a whole bunch, that's a limiter. But another thing that we already mentioned is the gate. Now, the noise gate is kind of like what we mentioned is the noise floor uh, in the gate, in the compressor. It is the level below which no sound comes through. All right. It is a door that stays closed. Its default is closed. And you have to push on that door a certain amount to get it to open. So in my, like James was saying, he has his gate set so that when he types, that's not enough sound level to push through the gate. So it's completely silent. Yeah, the gates are perfect for background noise. You have air conditioner in the back. You got noise in the back. Maybe dogs barking at a distance in the back. A gate can handle taking all that out so the listener doesn't hear it. Thank you for bringing that up because that's such a pet peeve of mine. A gate is not a noise filter. Do not compare the two. A gate does not work, doesn't do anything at all when it's open. So if you have an air conditioner running in the background that's going... When you stop talking, that will go away. But while you're talking, it will be your voice plus exactly. the whole time. And I've heard professionals fall into this trap. Really uh, high quality, uh, you know, highly paid radio guys who think that a gate is good enough. And it's not. You, you, you need a quiet environment. Because once that gate is open, it's doing nothing. It is serving exactly. no purpose. It is at yep. rest. It's all open or shut. There's no in-betweens, really. And a poorly configured gate is worse than a poorly configured compressor. It is, it's very annoying. Um, you, you have to work out the, their, the various settings on a gate that you're going to have. Is the attack, this, the, uh, well, first I talked about was the threshold, the, the level at which the door opens. And then the attack is the speed at which the door opens. Do you want it to open slowly or do you want it to fly open and let everything come in? And then there's the decay. How quickly do you want the door to close? Do you want it to quickly slam shut at the end of a sentence? Or do you want it to slowly fade out? And then the related to that is the hold time. Hold is like the minimum uh, amount of, uh, of open time. Like if I put my hold at five milliseconds, no matter what, even if the sound is only a half a millisecond, the gate is going to be open for five milliseconds. That's the hold time. So those are the common settings on a gate. And I can't tell you how you should set yours. 
It depends entirely on your equipment and on your environment and on your voice. You have to just yeah. play with that. And when you say a badly configured gate sounds bad, I'm sure people have heard this where you know, you're listening to a show and there's complete silence. And then whenever somebody talks, it's just hiss and his voice and all kinds of background noise. And then when he's done talking, it stops again. And it gives you this like pumping motion right. that is just not pleasant. You, you can't listen to a whole show like that. Otherwise, it will drive you nuts. So, yeah, you don't want to go crazy with the gate and think it's your fix for everything because it could make your show completely uh, terrible listening experience. Or if, so, you, if, you, if you have your gate set too strict, uh, say it, clo- it opens too slowly, you're going to miss the beginning of a sentence. If I say the word star, you're going to hear tar because this yeah. doesn't open it up. Uh, where if you have it closed too quickly and I say the word stars, you're going to hear star because it's going to cut it off. Um, and like, for example, uh, I tend to breathe heavily. Uh, I have long issues. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a mouth breather. So when I'm breathing, I try to gate that out for the most part so that it's just me talking. But in, in my recordings, you can hear it sometimes where there's a, a bit of a breath that kind of pops through for a second. The gate got co- uh, most of it, but not all of it. So it's just this sort of phantom uh, hiss that pops in there for no reason. That's because the level at which I speak and the level at which I breathe are so close that I'm having a hard time finding the right gate setting there. But those are things that you can work out. So if you if you back away from your mic and stop talking, then you shouldn't be able to hear anything. Like I, I can turn my head away from my mic say my wife walks in the room and i can have a quiet conversation with her and you won't hear it because the gate is set at a high enough level to block that out but i tend to be very bombastic when i speak so i can do that if you're a soft-spoken guy you're not going to be able to get away with that yes very good james any um, comments can i on say that? no well i think i think we're good on gates james you got anything on there if I wasn't planning to use the compression part of this device, I would own it just for the gate. Right. And James has the D, a DBX unit. Mark, you have a DBX unit. Same thing. I had, I had a DBX unit, and they have fantastic gates and fantastic compressors for hardware. And they're so cheap. So definitely look into them. And cheap being a relative affair, of course. Yeah. It's still... Compared to other hardware, right. it's you're going to spend affordable. you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks on it. No, I don't, I don't know. On a DBX two sixty six, yeah. If you buy one new, it's going to be two hundred dollars. I bought mine for one twenty nine, but mine didn't have a limiter on it. But let me can we talk about limiters uh, more, or did we not get up to that yet? No, go right ahead. I use a limiter at the at the very end of my effects. I use it on my master output, and what a, basically a limiter does, it's a very fierce compressor it basically says look i am a brick wall there is no way any sound is coming through this point and you set that point with a limiter so if you're worried about your sound clipping if you put a limiter at the end of your effects right on your master bus there you won't your show will not clip no matter how hard you push it it might not sound good but it won't clip because the limiter is literally a brick wall. A lot of them, a lot of people call them brick wall limiters that they have and create just for that purpose of putting at the very end of your chain, so nothing gets past zero dB or whatever your clipping point is. Um, a compressor will let a little 
signal over the top, over the ceiling that you set. So a compressor will let sound over the threshold. A, a limiter will not let any sound over the threshold. So it's a good idea to just, just at, as a habit, throw one in at the end of your effects every time. That's what I do for all my music, all my podcasts. Brick wall limiter at the very end of the chain. And no, you'll get no clipping. Unless, unless your actual channels have clip sounds in them. Right. That will come through. But if your channels levels are set properly, you will not clip with your master volume. And if you're doing all this per channel, which is easy to do in a, in a software DAW, you can you could just chain up all the effects you want because they're just plugins here and there. Um, I would again like to stress: simple is better. Uh, re- removing as many variables as possible is always good troubleshooting technique. Uh, so uh, you, I like to keep my flow as, as as simple and as bare bones as possible. I don't like uh, a ton of effects. I know some people. You know, that's what they like. They like that highly affected sound, but I like a, a, a natural sound as much as possible. I'm with you. I agree. Nat- less is definitely more with this. Um, if you don't have to add any effects, then don't. If you like the way yours sounds. But I, I like to use effects, but I use them very subtly. Now, of course, having said that, I say a natural sound, but if you walk up to me in person, I don't sound like this. This is a large diaphragm. Like? This is a large like? diaphragm microphone. I'm right up onto it. I'm, it's uh, overly accentuating the bass. There's more sibilance in it than normal. So you know, I, here I sound like a radio guy, but when I you know in person, I just sound like a person. Uh, so there's there's certainly tricks you want to do. But like I was saying earlier, that goes with the the gestalt of the of the medium, um, the talk radio, the 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 that art form has a style, and that style is to to be a little larger than life and so that's you know i have all of you guys mixed you know a little larger than life you don't sound quite like you would in in the ordinary world but james on your videos because that's a different medium and it's a different line of expectations you don't sound in your videos like you do in your podcast you sound much more normal in your videos right yeah thanks for that uh, excellent commentary there you are correct, sir. You know, one of the things, though, mentioning that is that whenever I'm I'm editing my videos, the audio features that are available to me, the effects that I can play with, are effects that are in a video editing piece of software. And although they are they are effects that are not bad effects, they're pretty good. In some cases, they are taken, in, in at least parts of them, are taken from audio programs. It's not the same as some of the software you might get on a fully featured digital audio workstation. You get what you would get in a in a video editing device. And as we've already mentioned, with video, people are often more interested in what things look like rather than what things sound like. My philosophy is different for my videos. I want to be sure I sound good to begin with, and then we'll worry about the video piece later. So uh, it, you you are limited a bit by what you're able to do if you're doing this in a video editor. And some video editors, like I know Sony Vegas does this. I'm not sure if Final Cut does this, James. Um, you can use a standard of effects plugins in the software world. They're called VSTs. Uh, so Vegas will accept VSTs. So you can buy pro-level software effects and plug them into your video editing software I know a bunch of programs do that. So if you, that's something to look out for when you're making purchases. Um, what kind of effects can you add to your program? Do you have to use the stock ones or can you plug in some VSTs? 
And some of the VSTs are amazing, so it might be worth it to look for that. Yeah, and in the case of something like um, Final Cut Pro, I don't know about the latest uh, Final Cut, which is the the X version, but uh, previous to this, they haven't been natively supported in the in the video editor. So that's just another example of some of the limitations you have. Yeah. But, you know, Apple does make a program called Logic, and Apple mm-hmm. does make Final Cut Pro and Express. So probably a lot of that technology of the effects, they did pour it over. So they probably they, they are did. pretty good. I, they probably are pretty good effects in uh, Final Cut. There, and there are. And for what I'm doing, I'm just sort of mixing up or down some of the equalization. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm changing some of the, the way certain pieces of it sound. I rarely compress inside of it. But because I'm doing everything in my hardware going in and I'm the only thing that's making any noise. But, but uh, you can tell there's different sections in there for editing. And Apple does have this huge section where they highlight their audio special effects. <laughs> yeah, I, I just had a, a thought here. A, a way you can um, hear the difference up front between the uh, radio booth sound and the television or movie sound is is pick any movie where the character is narrating his life forrest gump uh the wonder years tv show uh a christmas story um where you have the same actor speaking both on screen and off screen and you will hear that when he's in the booth doing his narration the sound is very different because they can have this big mic in front of him with a you know a, a pop filter, pair of pantyhose, whatever, uh, in front of him, and they don't have to care what it looks like. Uh, and that's why uh, animated shows always have a better soundtrack than live action shows, 100% huh. of the time. Good point. So there is that's what I was talking about the 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 medium. You gotta there are certain things if you're gonna go on a uh, a, a morning news talk television show, you got to look good. So you've got the smallest mic possible. It's either a lapel mic or maybe a boom mic over your head or or a little countryman mic on your face. You want it to be almost invisible or invisible. You want it to be as small as possible. Well, as we've talked about before, in microphones, the bigger the better. You get that rich tone by having that large diaphragm microphone. So there's two worlds that pull against each other. and And so you have to pick your medium. And hmm. you know, Nothing drives a podcaster crazier than watching television yes. and having to listen to that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you listen to, say, a car commercial where you've got the couple who are going to buy the car. They have one audio quality, and then you have the, the golden tones that come over and say, you know, the well-apportioned leather seats, whatever. He's got a whole different tone. But we're so programmed, we don't even notice that. But if you start paying attention to that, you hear that there's, there are two different worlds colliding there. The ones you can see and the ones you can't. The car commercials around here is the ones I need the limiter on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come know, on down that's... here this Sunday and we'll sell you a new Toyota. You go. There it is. Yeah. There are law. Are there laws now going in place to to quiet down commercials? Well, the 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 rule is the commercial can't be louder than the show. Okay, but there's no law against making a show with a really soft soundtrack. So exactly. So what they do is they just overcompress these commercials, right. To make them sound as loud as possible. And uh, so anyway, uh, the next thing that I have on my list is equalization. Something that I think is um, often overlooked, and then when it's not overlooked, it's overdone. 
I think that people either ignore EQ or overdo EQ. Uh, particularly in the the world of the bass, like I was talking about. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Right, right. <laughs> Definitely, I don't. I don't know. But yeah, with the, we all want to sound like Barry White, right? Um, and and you know, James has a very uh, uh, baritone voice when he leans into his mic. I've never heard him on any other audio device. I don't know what he sounds like uh, in real life. He may talk like this. He may sound like Mike Tyson. I don't, I don't know. Um, but. Uh, uh, the, we tend to accentuate that, right? And we want that deep, rich, authoritative tone. And so we tend to, and I think podcasters in general, and not just podcasters, radio, uh, the the audio uh, medium is crazy about bass. We overdo it way too much. Like, you know, we were talking again last week about the loudness wars. There's a bass war too, uh, particularly in dance music or club music. You just, more bass, just give me more bass, more bass. It doesn't really matter if it sounds good. We just want it there. But I think a lot of podcasters, particularly those who are um, new to the art, uh, go crazy with the bass. Uh, and so they'll take you know, a woman's voice, which is high-pitched by nature, and then try to oversaturate it with bass, and then it just doesn't sound natural, and it doesn't sound good. Or they'll take a guy with, you know, with, a, with a tenor voice and try to make him sound like a bass. And if you do that, it's never going to sound good. You need to work with what you've got. You want to use equalization to accentuate, not to artificially create. Yeah. And EQ can make a world of difference in your sound, and you definitely, definitely, definitely should use it. Um, don't be afraid of EQ. Some of them, are they look very complicated and can be daunting because they give you like five point settings and you could change the frequency in the band and how loud it is and how soft it is. And what I, what I would do if I were you and you wanted to learn EQ is just pull up an EQ like in your software. It's probably going to be a parametric EQ, which is going to probably gonna have like little numbers or little dots you could take and like move up and down to increase volumes. Just take one of those dots with your mouse and just start dragging it all over the screen and get a feel for what moving where moving it in certain points is going to affect your sound and do it for like 10 minutes you know just really understand what moving you know your equalizer is going to do to your sound and then when you actually have to do work on your audio do it very subtly it's like i'm talking about one db of difference in sound can make it just sound completely different so use eq subtly but use it and use it for this purpose. Here's the purpose I use it for. If I'm recording four guys on a podcast, me and three other guys, usually one's talking through a Logitech headset, which has no bass. One's probably talking on a mic like I have, which has good bass. One's talking through like an SM58, which has even more bass. And all these sounds, even though they sound good, everybody's track, even though it's clear, has just completely different tonal qualities. That's what I use an EQ for. I get them all to sound kind of the same, and that makes the podcast uh, easier to listen to. I struggle with this quite a bit um, because I am recording the audio for my videos on what is a consumer, I would, not even a prosumer, a consumer video, HD video camera that records to disc. And the audio input on that is a simple uh, eighth inch jack, that's a stereo jack that's going in. But I noticed that it's the audio quality that it uses. It's, it's uh, analog to digital converter, not so good. And what it is storing is much tinnier than what I am sending it. So I also record some audio on my computer, which is using a different 
the audio device. We talked earlier about me wanting to get another audio device. And this is one of the main reasons is that the one I'm using now is a $29 iMic from Griffin Technologies. And it, it has its own level of crappiness associated with it. It's, it's been capable enough up to this point, but I'm starting to hear the limitations. And then thirdly, I have additional audio that I record. I do three separate audio recordings when I do this because I'm freaked out about all of them. And it goes into a professional audio recorder that is um, from Marantz. So I've got three sources. And if I pull all three sources into my editor, the audio is all over the place. Each one of those devices has a completely different section that it needs from an equalization perspective. And it drives me crazy trying to figure out what sounds the best to be able to produce. And at some point, you have to quit fiddling with it and you have to go with, okay, that sounds pretty good. Let's just go with that. But I'm having to adjust across all of those different audio sources because all of them have a different perspective of what the sound really is like. Yeah, it's going to take some fiddling, but it's worth it with EQ if you get, a, get everything sounding good. And don't fall into the trap that every uh, teenager with a graphic EQ on his stereo in his bedroom has fallen into, and don't make it look like a smiley face. All right, so we we tend to take the <laughs> the the bass all the way up and the treble all the way up and the mid all the way out. Uh, in fact, I was I was in my wife's car uh, just yesterday. We were driving down the road and uh, listening to a song. You know, it's a song I know well. It was it could be considered one of my reference tracks, and I thought this sounds like utter garbage. What what's the deal? So I started checking. Connection because we had uh, my phone plugged into the to the jack, so I'm checking connections to see what's wrong. So that you know, I started punching the knobs on her stereo, and she had the treble cranked all the way up and the bass cranked all the way up. And you know, I don't know why people tend to do that. I, I you know, I fall into the same trip uh, trap too sometimes. But uh, you can't just max everything out. I, I guess we like bass uh, gives a richness to something so we think more is better right and treble gives us sibilance well the thing is if you if you turn your bass up too much it starts to over modulate and you can't understand it so the way you fix that by turning the treble up which makes the sibilance more so then it's clearer but now you have to turn your bass up a little more because it doesn't sound as rich anymore so then you have to turn your treble before long you're you're maxed out at both ends and it sounds like a house party mix when you're actually trying to listen to you know uh, a spoken word and on top of that, make sure you push the loudness button. <laughs> do I they still have loudness, loudness buttons? Yes, they do. <laughs> loudness, by the way, is a compressor. That's what that button does. That's interesting. Uh, so yeah, just don't uh, – I like to start with everything flat and then slowly change until I, it sounds better. And then stop changing when it starts sounding worse. Yeah. That's the that's key. A, that's good. That's good. Definitely, you guys mess with EQs because once you realize how powerful they are, you, you don't know how you're gonna, you would have lived without them, and they can make a world of difference in your recordings. And also, it, it depends on the gear uh, hugely. Like on this mixer I have right now, the mid-range is what I would call treble. The treble is like only dogs can hear it. Really? And the bass is pretty much mid-range. So there's very little low end on this mixer, and the high end is off the chart. So you can't just say, well, I know I like bass and I like treble and I, I like to turn the, the mid out. You do that on this mixer, 
which I did the first day I opened it up. I said, all right, well, generally I know that I like these kind of settings. It was terrible. And so so it was too crisp. It didn't sound right. So I kept turning the treble down. It wasn't changing anything. So then I turned the mid-range down and what do you know? Now the treble goes away. James, you have the same, you have a brother. Is it the same thing on your mixer? Oh yeah. It's, it's very similar. Yep. So there's, you know, that's that's why uh, I really enjoy software mixers. I don't use any hardware mixers. Software mixers allow you to just get so surgical with the sound. I mean, it's not three knobs. It's like little dots on a gr- on a graph, right. like a grid, and you can adjust curves and shelves and bands and frequencies and all kinds of stuff. And once you know what all that stuff means, you could literally get surgical, and you can remove. Tiny little frequencies that might be a little click in the background or something, and it won't affect the rest of the sound. You'll just get out the part you don't want. So that's it's really fun to use. I was really, really daunting for me. It took me like a year before I really like started digging into EQs because they're confusing. But once you get it, trust me, just keep plugging away at those things until you realize what they can do. Okay. Anything else? Any other thoughts? No, but I see your thoughts in the notes here. Yeah, that's why I can't <laughs> I can't speak and, and type at the same time. I, I had to type that like 27 times. Uh, so the thing about EQ, well, and really all of these, is don't overdo it. Um, it's better to leave it alone than to do it badly when you go in and start applying effects. And I've actually had that happen before. I, you know, it you get to this fatigue point. Well, you literally can't remember what good sounds like. Yes. And so I've, I've just started, I've been messing with things. I've been turning knobs for an hour and I just, I can't, I can't remember anything. So then I turn everything off and just play the original source. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so much better than everything That's I just true. spent an hour yeah. doing. And now uh, you just throw out everything you just did. <laughs> yep. It's true. So it, just like anything else in this art, you know, we call this the art of podcasting, right? Uh, just like everything else, it takes time. It's a craft. You're going to have to learn it. Um, we we have never we have said that uh, podcasting is easy, but we never said it was simple, right? So these are these are the complex intricacies that if you want to do it really well, you have to invest the time in. That's true. And the effects we mentioned in this show are pretty much the only ones you're really going to need. You, you don't want to put a reverb or a chorus or a phaser or distortion on any of this stuff. The ones we mentioned, you know, the compressor, the EQ, the gate, and a limiter will get you there. So uh, you don't have to go crazy thinking that you're missing some special effect that's going to make your voice sound awesome. Yeah, but interestingly, one, one of the points that I, that I make in, in my book that I'm never going to finish uh, is uh, that the effects that you want are not the effects that come on your mixers. Or on uh, with your uh, your VSTs or whatever the standard plugins are going to be the flanger and the reverb and the chorus and the delay, uh, but you know you're never going to find a mixer with a built-in uh, uh, compressor, you know, the, uh, without paying a fortune for it. Uh, yeah. So it's it's funny because what the industry sells are not the the effects that you actually need. <laughs> you got to upsell. Exactly. And, and there's a lot of fr- cool free. Um, usable effects, software effects you can get from, I would definitely recommend going to KVR Audio. Awesome site for plugins. They got everything on there. And there's a, there's a filter where you could just plug in free and you can see all the free effects. There's like EQs from Blue Cat and all co- other 
kinds of other companies. There's whole suites of effects you could get where you could get all the effects in one bundle. Um, there's one spe- specific effect limiter from a company. It starts with K. It's a K-J-A-R-U-A-S, some German word I can't even pronounce. And pros use that. I know a lot of music pros use that limiter in their recordings, and it's free. So check out, go to KVR Audio. That's a great site for free plugins. That's a good tip. That's, uh, that could be your lesson you learned this week, tip. Yeah, I'm going to use that. Can I use that? <laughs> sure. We'll just, I'll go back and delete everything you just said, and we'll start over again. <laughs> um, so just in conclusion, listen, 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 and make it sound better. Remember that your goal is to make it sound better, not to make it sound different, not to make it uh, more of this or less of that. It just needs to sound better. And if, if to, to make it sound better, you have to do what you think is, is uh, counterintuitive, okay, do it. Let your ears be your guide. And, and if you don't have good ears, find somebody you trust and ply, ply them with free beer as often as necessary, but not while they're listening to your stuff. Um, and, and get them to listen. And also, hey, this should go without saying, mix sober. <laughs> don't make these decisions uh, drunk or, or exhausted which is just as bad as being drunk. So, you know, those, those late night uh, sessions at three o'clock in the morning where you think you're getting your best work done, you go back and listen to those at nine o'clock the next morning and not so much. Can I say one thing in conclusion? This would be another lesson. No, I'm sorry. Pile them up. Yeah, I'm done with you. You're not going to talk oh, anymore. Sucks, man. <laughs> go ahead. I, I quit. Um, I, use effects to... I don't know about you guys, but when I listen to a podcast, I really don't like when somebody's volume, one of the people on the show's volume is really loud and another guest is really low. To me, that's really bothersome. You can handle that with compression and EQ and effects we're talking about in this show. So that's the kind of thing you want to attack. These obvious glaring things in your show that, that need to be you know, corrected. Yes. So, and, 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 and you could adjust with volume levels as well, but just that kind of stuff. Use the effects for that kind of stuff. And while we said we prefer hardware, every one of these things, a good EQ, a good compressor, a good limiter, all of these things can be had for free in digital form. So don't yeah. don't let that be your excuse. Well, I don't have a lot of money to put into it. That's okay. You're just going to have to put a little more work into it. And it doesn't matter what uh, software tool you use. You know, I use the free Audacity tool. It, there are lots of really good uh, plugins out there. They can't use the VST. Pl- actually, they can use VST. It's the... Anyway, there there's some they can use, some they can't. Um, so you know, look into it. Do do some research. You know, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. You're either going to go to the music store and pay for it with your credit card, or you're going to go to Google and pay for it with your time searching. Uh, but True. either way, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna pay for your high quality effect. But they're out there, and you're going to be able to find them. Agreed. James, cool. any final words of wisdom from you? There was uh, some of the work I was doing, as, as you recall, last week I had completely restructured and re- rewired my mixer. And, of course, I sat down to shoot videos this weekend and realized all my, uh, all, all my levels were off completely. So I ended up ha- – and that's one of the, my biggest problems is levels. I can never seem to get it right, which I think is why I have so many different recording pl- that I'm doing in three different places because I can never seem to get it right. But I go back to an episode that we did with Ryan Canestra of the Home Recording Show, and one of the things he said was set your levels so that you're peaking kind of right in the middle. 
You don't want to be up too high. You don't want to be down too low. Just get in the middle. You'll be okay. And uh, that really worked out very, very well for me. Everything uh, with my levels worked out perfectly. And, and on top of that, uh, now that I've been to kvraudio.com, uh, found some samples on the front page of authentic bagpipes. So we're going we're gonna to take it up a notch <laughs> in the future. You did? Authentic bagpipes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love going through K- to KBR because they just, it's almost like an RSS feed. All the new plugins, they just list immediately when they come out. And uh, you could find some really cool stuff on there. I got to check out those bagpipes, though. This episode of The Art of Podcasting brought to you by KVR. <laughs> that would be nice, but no. Oh, it would be awesome. Uh, okay. Anything else before we move along? Uh, we, uh, we've actually bored. Two-thirds of our original listeners off the live stream. That's awesome. I don't think it was as much as boring of them as confusing them. <laughs> Maybe that's it. They need to listen to it again and get a dictionary. That's out. the... Oh, is, are, you, are you mocking me for my big words again? No, 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 not okay. at all. I'm just... This is heavy stuff we went over, and okay. I just... I know that it is, so I don't blame them for what they, what they did to us. <laughs> What they did to us. There's another good show title. What they did to us. Uh, so we'll move on to the lesson you learned this week. And uh, Steve, we've not heard his at all. Um, so uh, we we we'll, we don't know what he's going to say at all. <laughs> but I'm going to say, uh, Bacon, with all due respect to Jews and Muslims, Bacon is from God. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's what I learned this week. Uh, Steve, how about yourself? Me or James? Well, I was going to go with you. Okay. My lesson learned is when you think you're going to be on time for something because you time it just right that you're going to be there at the exact minute, then you didn't plan properly. You got to plan, you got to leave some leeway time so that when you think you're going to be somewhere, you're going to show up a little early and then you usually show up on time. Yes. My grandfather used to say, if you're on time, you're late. There you go. James, what did you learn this week, if anything? Once you pull everything apart and put it back together again, you sure better test it because your levels will be completely off. Ah. So the the moral of this story is sound is hard. Sound is hard. It really is. To do it exceptionally well. Anybody can do it badly. So, uh, you know, decide what you want to do. Do you want to do it badly or do you want to do it exceptionally well? Goodly. Goodly. You can do it badly or you can do it goodly. That's true. And sound is fun, though, I think. Yeah. Well, I I would hope anybody who's doing a podcasting sort of geeks out on this stuff anyway. Uh, If not, uh, you do the content and hire somebody to be your producer who geeks out on this stuff because they're out there. Um, and you don't have to probably, I mean, to, to, to get a pro, you're going to pay a ton of money, but you can probably find somebody who is, uh, you know, a novice who likes doing it and can take your show to the next level, uh, you know, auditorially and let you focus on the content. <laughs> I have to admit learning this stuff and figuring all this stuff out and doing what James did last episode where he just redid his whole rig for me in podcasting was one of the one of the funnest moments when I was really digging into that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. Did you just say funnest? Was the funnest? Yeah. That was the bestest. 
<laughs> I, I thought we could be friends, Steve, but now I don't know. If you're going to use the word funnest in a sentence, I don't know if I can be seen with you. We got Goodly. We got funnest. You know, you know, the scary thing is I said, I said funnest thinking that that was perfectly fine. Oh, you're tired. You've been, uh, you've been on the road. I'll forgive you for it. Uh, I was playing with my kids the other day, and I, I don't remember what one of them said something like, that's, that's more funlier. <laughs> just, you know, she's seven. She's allowed. <laughs> but that just made me that laugh. That sounds like, you know who does this more than anyone? Door. If you want to hear words being made up on a continuous level, then uh, listen to some of the podcasts with Door to Door Geek. Um, we, we were thinking about making a book of some of the words he comes up with because they're just super classic. <laughs> uh, what is it? I forget. I think it was Mark Twain who said it's a damn poor language who can only think of one way to spell a word. And that just, it was a, a sort of close to what we were just talking about. You know, sometimes you just got to make up your own words. I agree. Anything, any other thoughts? Because we've totally rambled before we say how people can contact you and why they might want to do so. Anything else? Bueller? Anyone? All right. No. James, who are you? What do you do? And why should we care? Why am I here? If you'd like to know more about my videos, the IT training videos for Linux, for A+, for Network+, for Security+, you can find them all at ProfessorMesser.com. How about you, Steve? Well, if you want to watch half of my podcasting videos, which are about five hours of video, they're all on YouTube. And um, they're there for everyone to see. They're free, except for the fact that you probably have to watch an ad if YouTube decides to show one. And um, a lot of the stuff uh, I talk about on the show, all my, the, the whole effects section and everything is up there for all to see in video form. So it might give you some mass on the, the, the stuff we've been talking about this show and uh, help you out with some pictures and videos and, you know, that kind of stuff. You said half of them. Is that uh, two and a half out of the five hours or is it a half hour five times? Um, matter. <laughs> I mean, I actually do. I actually do ten hours of video, so okay. half of them is about five hours. I was just wondering if you like you're going to get thirty minutes into an hour and say, if you want to hear the rest of this, click on over to howtopodcast.biz and fork up your credit card. Well, you know what's been happening, and this is really I didn't expect it. The only reason I put half up is because I just got lazy in the middle and just didn't feel like putting the rest <laughs> up. But what I found out was happening is uh, people have been watching them, few, a few, and uh, I've been getting more sales because as they watch the half, I think they want the other half, and then they go to howtopodcast.biz and they buy them. So I figure if I just tell people to watch the first half, then maybe that that will happen to them too. That's perfect. That's the... Uh, um what do they call that? The crippleware model. You know, I'm going to give you just see what I think Freemium. you should do. Premium. Well, that works too. You know, I, I think you should uh, do like break it up into one hour segments. You got 10 of them and then play like the first 27 minutes of each one and stop in the middle of a sentence and say, for more, go over to howtopodcast.biz. You know, Mark, it's funny you say that. <laughs> when, for my, my how to repair laptop videos, I have a YouTube channel called Laptop Repair Videos. And it's just the first two minutes of every video in my collection. And I thought that would be very smart, except for the horrible YouTube comments and, <laughs> and all the dislikes I get for those videos. So that didn't work. So clearly you don't want to hire me as your marketing manager. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that didn't work that good. No, I'm a big fan of giving things away for free and then uh, uh, looking for returns on the back end. And I, I think you're seeing that, right? You, you've had stuff that you used to charge for. Now you don't charge for it and you're making money. So, yeah, you know, you can't argue with that. It's really a workable, I think, system. Because, and that's why podcasting is so great. People get to know you through your shows. And if you give away a lot of free videos, people get to know you through that. And then they really do want to give back and they'll buy stuff from you. So it's a, I think it's a great way to do a business. You know, I was doing some, some back of the envelope math the other day. And based on our download numbers, uh, average download numbers, if everybody who downloaded our show every week uh, put $20 in the tip jar a month, $240 a year. That's a lot for podcasts, but just to make the math easy. If everybody who listened uh, put $20 a month in, uh, my partner Sean and I could quit our jobs and do this full time and pay you know the taxes on that and have insurance on our families and do all that. Uh, that's all it would take. Um, of course, that I don't ever, act, frankly, expect that to happen. I don't think, I think $20 a month is a lot to ask for anybody just for some podcasts. But it's, it's interesting how the economy of scale works. It doesn't take a lot uh, of money over, the, uh, over a lot of people to That's make true. this a viable thing. I, I've thought of that, and I've, I've wanted to just experiment and say, what if I made podcasts, I mean, what if I made Podnuts a, f- a paid service, and what would happen? But you just can't risk doing it and not knowing the outcome, you know, not knowing definitely what the outcome would be. But if you said, what if I charge two bucks or five bucks a month for people to access my podcast? You know, like people like Kim Commando and other people charge for their podcasts. Um, I wonder what would happen. How many people would drop off? What, how much I would make? Uh, it's, just, it's just a random curiosity I thought of and uh, just never really. What would happen had- is your show would instantly become heavily torrented. Um, that's probably true. Probably true, and and the way I look at that is that's that doesn't represent lost revenue because the people who are going to steal it we're never going to pay for it anyway. So I agree. There's kind of no point in charging for it because the people who are going to pay you will will pay you in whatever way they see fit by by putting some money in your tip jar or or, or by you know buying something through Amazon link or whatever they're going to do that if they're going to otherwise they're never going to pay you anyway they're just going to take it. I agree. Hey, and that, I, I stopped fighting pirates of my videos long ago when I just realized that, number one, it's not a winning battle. You cannot just keep these people down. They will keep popping up under different guises, different sites, different ways, and it's just not worth the energy. And like you said, it really doesn't matter anyway. It didn't affect sales. Right. So. Well, that was a little bonus deal. material there that we weren't planning on. Yeah, it's good stuff. I think about because, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, Steve, but... I would like to make this my full-time job. I'd love to be able to do that. And uh, when I was just doing the math, just out of curiosity, what would it take to make this my full-time job? The the numbers were actually strikingly small. It doesn't take a lot. Huh. Because, you know, I, I don't need a lot. I don't need millions of dollars. Yeah, that's cool. That's good, Mark. So go to, go to elementop.com and give me money. <laughs> just that simple. So thanks for listening. Guys, thanks for being with us. And I want to say that's it for this week's episode of The Art of Podcasting.